Welcome to the Be In Cyber podcast. I'm Rosie Anderson and our guest today is Lindsay Thorburn of CDS Security. The idea of the podcast is to showcase the diverse range of careers available within cyber. So let's hear what Lindsay's got to say about how his career's evolved. So today we've got Lindsay Thorburn of CDS Defence and Security joining me on the Be In Cyber podcast. Thank you so much for coming. No problem, Rosie. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. So it's always important to me that I share journeys uh, from a diverse range of people. Now, you are a military veteran, and I know that you're very passionate about transitioning people into cyber. But tell me a bit about yourself, Lindsay. How did you sort of start your career? Where did you begin? So uh, my career began uh, when I was 17, nearly 18. And I, I decided that after I'd got my A-levels, that I was instead of going the traditional route through university, I was going to go and join the military. The story goes along the lines of, I went into the recruitment office and long and short was, we want you to be an officer. I really wanted to be a soldier. So we went back and forward for quite some time on, I want to be a soldier. No, you're going to be an officer. We settled on me getting a trade. Uh, Instead of joining the infantry, we settled on me getting a trade. And that's that's where we found the middle ground. So I went up through the ranks over a career of 24 years. After about 17 years, I commissioned to become an officer in the end. So they did get their way in the end. And that career was in the Royal Signals. So heavily communications orientated and secure communications. And it started off with things like radio networks, um, high frequency, uh, SATCOM, and, and everything in between. I went through many training courses in that journey. One of them was a degree course down in Blandford for two years, focused degree, not like a degree you'd get in a normal university. It was in uniform every day and we were in in classroom every day. So they tried to really condense that. I then went up through the ranks there as well and and picked up an MSc in information capability management. And it was at that point that I took a real pivot into cybersecurity as as an area of interest. I then went for my last two roles. One was in a brigade headquarters, which for those who have got a military background will know what that, what that means. That was in delivering secure communications to multinational partners. So it's design the networks and make sure that we could communicate effectively, but securely and within our own sovereign space. And then my last role was up in army headquarters at the four-star level, top of army. And I was what's called SO3 cybersecurity. What does that mean? It means basically anything that was happening that day out to about 12 months that had the word cyber in it or or anything in that space, kind of I would get involved with, whether that was cyber risk management, vulnerability management for any vulnerabilities that had come out that day or that week and were really impacting everybody, cyber threat intelligence, uh, there was really a quite a quite a broad range of things that I got involved with, uh, and that was kind of my initial journey through my early career, and then I went to what what I would now class as my second career in cybersecurity. That's that's quite a journey that you've taken, and I imagine obviously you can't talk about a lot of things, but coming from military scale and breadth and red tape to a degree I'd imagine but in a military operation if something needs doing it gets done how did you find that transition into the wonderful world of Civvy Street? So you're not wrong in that there's a lot of bureaucracy and in, in large-scale organizations be those military or actually civilian 
the further, the bigger the organization, the more, I wouldn't call it red line and, and red tapes you have to break through, but there's certainly some more control measures that need to be considered. And that's partly because of the maturity of the organization, the types of clients that those larger organizations deal with, and therefore the level of risk that they carry and reputational risk if they don't necessarily get something right. So I found my journey has been from military large-scale organization. I initially went to a company called CGI, very large consultancy company around the world, 90,000 employees. So it's, you know, it was on par with the, the British Army, who actually have got about 75,000 suited employees, green suited employees. So, you know, it's very much of a similar scale. And there was a lot of controls in that space as well. I, I've now found myself, like I said, at the start there with a company called CDS Defense and Security. It's a smaller organization. It's part of a group. So it's got a, it's got a group umbrella called Bailey Group. It's 160 people and my the CSNIA team, which I send, has got about 35 people. We've got a lot more autonomy and, and in what we do and in our hiring processes, uh, who, we, who we bring in. Um, it's, it's really much more, I would call it a bit more dynamic, but we have to be as a small to medium enterprise. And I think that's quite important when somebody's considering that jump out of military. And am I right in thinking you, you post your papers to serve, uh, to finish, and it's typically two year period? So it, it really depends. Uh, if you are on a full career and you're a serving soldier, you know that you're at your 22-year point. And from that 20-year point, you can then leverage the benefits of the resettlement process. So you can get access to the career transition partnership and the career transition workshops and everything that goes with that. If you have you know, done less than 22 years and you're voluntarily withdrawing yourself from, from service, so say maybe you've done 10 years, you put your papers in, so we call it uh, NTT, so notice to terminate. And then you have a clock that ticks. The maximum that clock will be is 12 months, unless you can agree something different with your CEO. And you can reduce that down to seven months. And I think in, in some instances, probably a bit sooner if you've got a job offer lined up and your commanding officer or the person who's heading up your organization agrees that it's in the benefits of the service personnel to go for that opportunity because it gives them the best chance of landing outside. But the I guess the caveat to that is it cannot impact military operations and plans for the organization. So there is a balance to be struck. And I have heard of some individuals being tied to that 12 months, even though they've got a reasonable opportunity coming up, but it's because of the commitments of the organization that the, the, the formation is still in. And I've also heard of some people getting out quite quickly because everything seemed to tie in nicely. It must be quite not so much scary because obviously you see much more scary things being in the military than, than job changes, but it must be quite nerve wracking to make that change from something that you've been doing for 20 years or however long to come into industry. What, what kind of would you, well, A, how did you find that transition and what would you advise people who were going through that or considering going through that? that that's a really good question, Rosie. So, I, even though I would consider myself quite experienced and confident in my own abilities, I still felt a little bit like I was pushing myself well outside my comfort zone. And that's not something I thought I would ever think of for just leaving the military. But when you've been in something, uh, an organization like that for so long, you do become a bit institutionalized in a way. The, the things that you can do to prepare for that, I suppose, are having a bit of a circle outside of the military like friends if you can 
buy your own house it, it settles you in a neighborhood as well and and you get you get some sort of community there and when you then uplift and extract from the military and you know all of your comrades have gone not necessarily you know forever i'm sure you'll still keep in touch with them and i do many of my good friends you know that you've got that that place that home base to go to where you've already built some new ties and you're starting to build up a second life in that space i think the people who struggle the most might be some of those who don't necessarily have the opportunity to find that base and really put some roots down and give themselves the best platform to move out onto yeah i think there's plenty of opportunities as well not sort of opportunities but networking groups like there's tech vets which do fantastic work to help redeploy and, and re-support uh, people in, into that transition but there's also AFCEA, uh, AFCEA they have regular meetups once a month in London, London's the biggest but there's Cheltenham, there's Blandforth so very much where there's military bases there are communities of people who have made that transition out into industry who want to support as well and all of those talks are around cyber I believe. I think, like you say, it's it's a nerve-wracking journey, but there's support there. But as we go into more challenging times, I think the military experience is really heavily recognised. I know, for example, financial services follow the three lines of defence for risk management, which is the military way of sort of approaching risk. But let's let's get on a little bit more in terms of your role. What do you actually do now, day to day? What what is your role now, and how has that changed since you've come out of the military? So I'd, I'd maybe take you back to not my role now, but my role as was my previous employment. So I left the military and joined CGI as a senior consultant. And that was very much the, the joined a, a team where we were delivering a capability back into MOD, which is something that I was passionate about. You know, I was passionate about giving back to the community that had given me a massive foot up. In, in my life and and really sort of like give me some some immense social mobility which I might never have been able to have ever experienced if I'd if I'd gone elsewhere. So I was really passionate about giving back into that space and and, and the project I was the I guess the call it the security person on the team. So delivering uh, the capability to secure by design principles and ensuring that everything was uh, as the let's call them the accreditor as they were were expecting them to be. I quickly found I guess that I, I wanted to feel like part of a smaller team, you know, a more close-knit team with all like-minded uh, individuals. We were just like the security team and we would go off and do things rather than being the security individual. So um, it was at that point I'd, uh, I'd reached out by my, my current uh, employer to offer me an opportunity. Now I'd previously interviewed with CDS Defence and Security, but they didn't necessarily, because they're a smaller organisation, have the right fit for me at the time. And about three months after being being with CGI, they they did they they came to me and said, look, we think this is really something that that you might enjoy. What do you think about it? And uh, and I and I had a real quandary. You know, it was, it was like it's like Martin, my my new boss now, had to come and put a stick in the spokes of my bike, because I've because I'd really thought I'd found a nice sweet spot. But um, it, it, it transpires. We had a with a, a chat and we talked through the opportunity and and what it would mean, and and I got the ability to do something that actually I'm really passionate about in my, you know, evenings and weekends as well now, which is mentor and develop people. So the role that I sit now in is practice lead of risk and governance, and. Broadly, that is ensuring that we have, I'm 60% I'm, I'm consultant, chargeable, 40% uh, 
team management and service delivery. So I've got the, the side that I go and, and advise and consult and use my user experience to, to help guide a client in, in delivering secure capability, whatever that may look like. And that's across all sorts of, all aspects of governance, risk and compliance, so risk assessments, maturity assessments, third-party supply chain, you know, you name it, if it's in there, we've probably got a capability that does it. The other 40% is, is the bit that really sort of rings really true to, to who I am as, as a core individual, and that's supporting and developing people and building a team and building services. So we've got, for example, we've got at the moment four apprentices, two of them who are just about to spin out of a four, three-year apprenticeship program and become consultants, junior consultants. And we've got another two who have just entered the bottom end of that as well. And they're going through that process and had a really fantastic discussion with the, the senior apprentices on Monday. And they, and they gave me a full rundown of everything they'd been up to and some of the changes that we can make, which is, which is really good to see. They had that confidence to come in. We've also got a graduates program as well, which is something that we, we manage and we run those graduates through from cybersecurity degrees once they've come out and we'll take them on and develop them into consultants as well. So the job really is, 60% consultant, 40% team management and building out services. And, and as part of that building out services, it's ensuring that we've got the right trained people, enough of them in order to service the pipeline of activities that we're bidding for and that we're, we're, we're hoping to win. So it's a bit of a balance. You've got to get it right. You can't recruit too heavily if, you, if you're not going to win uh, some of those bids or the, the opportunities to, to win them look quite low. But equally, you've got to have enough people in the hopper and, you know, available at, at short notice that if the contracts do come through, you can absolutely run at them full full pace. So it's a nice balance to strike. It's interesting. It's very hard within the, that scenario as well to like not have too many people on the bench and also know that you've got the capability. But oh, yeah, it's it's the fun conundrum of consultancy, isn't it? Having enough in the pipeline for the portfolio that you have, uh, but also the customers, even when they win. At, they're not normally you know overnight spin-ups of projects are they you normally get a little bit of time to start to mobilize yeah it is and it's absolutely compounded at the smaller organization level so larger organizations they, they tend to have a larger you know day rate for their consultants which means that whilst they cover a lot of their other overheads they've got the ability to maybe put some people in the bench for a little bit longer whilst they're looking to win some of these big contracts smaller organizations you can't have people in the bench for too long so otherwise it really starts to eat into your gross margin because you've got people who aren't contributing to the the revenue of the organization so it's, it's really interesting and fine balance that you've got to that you've got to work and manage and you've got to have some confidence in your your ability to win bids what that'll look like by way of delivery and and then you know one of the areas that i think we really need to sort of like get better at across as an industry is not just the recruitment side but retaining quality individuals that is critical you can you can fill the top of your bucket as much as you want with water but if you've got big holes in the bottom of it you're never going to be able to maintain that workforce yeah 100 percent let's Go back to the CDS opportunity then. So that is a perfect example of when you say no to somebody or when somebody turns you down in the recruitment process, however that worked, knowing that if you know the candidate well enough and you've built that much rapport, for them to be able to come back and say, we have a role that's a better fit for you, they must have built, built quite a great you know, relationship or experience. If you'd had a really crappy candidate experience throughout that, you know, they didn't get any feedback or the process had been really slow, there's no way they'd have been able to turn that round. So talk to me a bit about how they managed to do that. 
was was the interview experience really good was it just that this new opportunity was better yeah so the the process actually was i i'll talk you through a little bit more so i as i left the military i and i got i got advice and actually it's by the person who's my boss now and it was before i'd even signed off we had a discussion and he said you will have no problem landing a role you will be fine don't worry about it and that actually was what gave me the confidence to leave in the in the first instance because I knew that my direction of travel was changing and I was no longer feeling that I could you know I was I was feeling like the the relationship was as productive as it had certainly been in the past and, and, and I wanted to settle down a little bit more and not move around. I took seven interviews and I got seven job offers out the back of it. So I did actually get an initial job offer from CDS Defence and Security. It was the fit from my side that I said, that's fantastic, but I'm afraid that the role that you suggested might have been there kind of isn't there. And they agreed as well. And they said, no, that's absolutely fine. We fully understand why you've made your decision. So, so we did maintain a relationship after the back, off the end of that. And that's why when this new uh, opportunity came about, I was, well, I, I would like to think I was top of the list, um, but I was certainly one of the candidates that that that, that said that said to them, you know, let's let's go and see if Lindsay is interested in this and see if he would like to take up this this opportunity. And that's a perfect example of there's no point ghosting someone. If you get to a point where you've got seven offers, you, you're going to disappoint six of them unless it's too part time. But being open and honest about the reasons why, you know, it's not you, it's me sort of thing um, helps. This is one of the things that that I reflect on, and I wish I'd listened to people more. My boss, Martin, he said to me, you don't need to worry, you will get a role. You know, you don't need to go out there and get so many, effectively, you don't need to get so, so many job interviews. You need to find the ones that really ring true to you and then go for them. And at the time, I thought naively, um, maybe this is, a, maybe this is a, a tactic. Maybe this is like, you don't go to anybody else, you know, come to us. But he was absolutely right. You know, I, I went out with, a, I went out with a, you know, a, a trawler instead of a fishing rod. And I should have picked up that fishing rod and I should have been more selective um, in, in how I approached it. And that was probably due to my lack of confidence stepping into the, into the civilian sector, which is, as I go back to what I said previously, something never thought I would have to say is that I lacked confidence, but it was a, it was an unknown world to me. And it was something that, you know, I felt un, I didn't feel unprepared for it. I felt prepared for it, but it was just the unknown to me. So I, I, w- I wish I'd done that. What, what I'd also like to drop from this um, experience of leaving in September 22 and joining a, a large organization, and then at the end of March, only six months later, joining another organization. When you're in the military, you get given your assignment order and that's you for two years. You know, you're there and, and that's, that's what it says. You can, you can either NTT sign off and leave or stay there for two years. When you're in the civilian sector, it's up to you if you stay in that role. If there's another opportunity that comes along, you know, and you feel it's more aligned to what you and you you and your direction of travel, you can absolutely take that. It's your fault if you don't take those opportunities anymore. It's not anybody else's fault. It's not an assignment officer's fault or APC up at Glasgow. You're responsible for your own direction of travel, your own successes, uh, and, and you've got nobody to lean back and go, wow, they put me here for two years, so I've got to do two years. You, you take those opportunities as they come and you embrace them. Yeah. Same for newbies sort of starting out in a role, you know, if, if it's not right for you. And that's why it's really important in that interview process that it's a two-way process. If it's not right for you or it's not what it seems, you can look again. Finding the next opportunity 
is always easier than finding that first opportunity but also where you start like like with your career where, where you start in the industry isn't where you're going to end up it's a direction of travel and you decide when the next junction is I suppose yeah you're absolutely right I think there's um you know you you can when you're trying to transition into the industry and it depends what your background is I I'm fortunate I had a heavy signals secure comms and cybersecurity background and I'm slightly older than most people, I would suggest, that they might be transitioning into the area. So I, I found it a relatively easy process. When you're maybe coming from a different background, so maybe you come from infantry or Royal Engineers or you're a Marine or something, and you're transitioning in and you maybe don't have as much experience, it can be quite difficult to, to find that first role and, and get your foot on the ladder. Once you have got that, though, that's the start of of a, of a very fruitful career and a very enjoyable one if you're if you're really into information security and and protecting assets yeah i think like i said earlier most businesses as well recognize the military experience and the breadth of experience that you have and they want to see more military vets even if they are they haven't necessarily signed up to the armed forces covenant they they still recognize the experience that's coming in and the discipline the training the everything that sort of embodies a military vet um, is is what businesses need and like to see in their application pool so let's talk about cyber five six i know this is something that's really important to you and you're on your mission um and i know you're a mentor for capstock um and you've mentored teams for us before so talk to me about what that is why you set that up and why that's important to you so i as I was leaving the military, I think what people were doing was I was relatively active on LinkedIn from a, a military perspective, and they were seeing that I had moved and was successfully moving into cybersecurity as an industry. And people who were maybe a couple of steps behind me, maybe they were six months behind me in the process or they were thinking of leaving, they almost reached out to me and said, hey, how, what, what did you do? How did you do this? Why would you think about me taking this approach? And it kind of just spawned from there. I started giving some like really low level, oh, let's have a chat over a coffee. Um, and here's kind of what I did. <clears throat> and that then turned into something a bit more formal because I was getting a lot of people coming to me. What I wanted to do was, was then break that out as delineate it from my day-to-day -day work and what I was doing on LinkedIn about governance risk compliance and cybersecurity as a whole as a sector and then break that into something which was more this is the time that I focus on supporting people into the industry and why is it important to me well in 20 years time I hope to be retired on a beach in Barbados drinking pina coladas or something of that ilk it's it's incumbent on us as the security professionals of today to ensure that security professionals of tomorrow get the right start I've got a saying, I've got quite a few sayings. One of them is um, making sure you climb the right mountain because it's a lot of effort to go and get some certificates in cybersecurity if they don't necessarily align to your direction of travel. There's, if you look at UK Cybersecurity Council, they've got 16 specialisms and not all of the boot camps align directly to those specialisms. They can be a bit more focused or a bit more general. And a lot of the certificates are very, very similar. They can be somewhat focused in particular areas or a little bit more general in, in what they're trying to cover. And I think helping people understand what that looks like for them and getting them into the right type of role will one, make it more enjoyable for them and two, make that learning process much easier. And I guess as a third one, when they get into that role, they're really gonna they're really gonna excel in, in that in that career and, and hopefully we'll keep them in that stream. I think you're right. I, I 
being a recruiter, I, I always get graduates or people are saying, I want to get a job in cyber. How do I do it? So it's I created like an ebook, a hack your way into cyber for students was the first things we did. Um, making sure they get the right advice and knowing that cyber is so much more than just SOC and pen testing is so important to me. It's like, it's not, there's not two paths, there's millions of paths in. And there's no point forcing yourself up a hill that you don't want to climb. Um, my saying's a little bit different to yours. I, I say sending the elevator back down. So when you've had that foot up, doing that and get paying that forward, that is my sort of uh, saying. But it's really admirable what you're doing. And I think as well, having a process that's scalable, you've only got so much amount of time in the day. If there's something that somebody can read and see and um, it, it helps, doesn't it? Although I know you give up a lot of time. You give up most of your evenings, don't you? I, I do. Yes. And it's something that I'm, I'm working towards reducing, actually. And and you, you hit on something important there is it's making it scalable. So I have a I have a model. I have several models in my head, and one of them is is exactly about finding the right path to start with, and and I call it my cybersecurity ikigai. Now, ikigai is a Japanese concept, which is your meaning for being that you know the 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 who you are and why you exist, and the model's a four circle Venn diagram, and and the circles cover what you're good at. Um, uh, and what you love doing and they can be two different things you can be very good at something but hate doing it um, so you know you've got to be able to distinguish between the two and the other two areas are uh, what the world needs so what does the cybersecurity industry needs and, and that leads to one of my other sound bites which you just touched on there's more than just pen testers and SOC analysts and there's not one million jobs for those people so you've got You've got the uh, what the world needs, and the in the bottom corner of the Venn diagram, you've got the what you'll get paid for. Now, attend to sort of like not focus as much in the what you'll get paid for, uh, and more just sell it as a you know, if you find the what you the, the nice blend of the other three, what the world needs, what you're good at, and what you uh, love doing, then the the fourth part kind of comes in time you know the what you'll get paid for and, and, and mm. how you'll be remunerated but that as a model itself and I talk through it with most of the people that I mentor not all of them because they're in different places so I've got a few tools that I use to help guide different people in their different uh, parts of their journey but that one is really fundamental to helping them get on the right at the bottom of the right hill at the very start of their journey to ensure that they're um, going to I, I guess excel in the career and and that in itself is is something that I feel really passionate about getting them getting them at the, at the, the right start point. I think you're right there we both agree there's so much more than SOC and pen testing and also the experience that military are bringing in regardless of which division they, they've, they've been division that's probably the wrong word <laughs> but which area of the military they've been working with it um, they're bringing transferable skills so you're not starting right at the bottom like, look at your career journey, your, your practice lead. You're not starting right at the bottom because you're starting again in another journey. You're bringing and transitioning all of those wonderful skills that you've learned over a military career and transitioning them into the industry. So, yeah, if it, risk is a perfect place to start. And you're not starting at those entry level salaries. I, I say this to the cap stockers. If you're if you want to be a SOC analyst, and that's great. And there's a path that you can start with that. But actually, if you've worked in legal, if you've worked in teaching, if you've worked in consulting, you've already got a lot of transferable skills that you're bringing in. So you don't necessarily need to start 
as a SOC analyst, you can start as a consultant, you can start within risk, you can start within compliance. And there's a lot of transition from other industries that we can bring in. So I think it's really admirable what you're doing. It's great sort of having you uh, talk about this on the podcast. Is Cyber 5.6, is that just for military? Is that for everybody? What What's kind of your end goal with this? I know you want to train, is it 50,000 people or help 50,000 people? Maybe not train. Yeah, so I, I would like to, to uh, 50,000 is a lovely target. Um, I, I'll never be able to track that. I, I would like to impact 50,000 people, I suppose, in their journey and, and help them find the right path. The people that I mentor one-to-one um, actually come from all different types of backgrounds. So there is a good portion of military. There's probably maybe 60% of, of the time, 60, 70% of the time is, is military people. And that's either people who have found me through other groups like Tech Vets, which you mentioned, which is a fantastic group, the Gen Dit Network, or somebody's tagged me in something um, that they've posted and said, go speak to Lindsay. So if in that military space, but equally, I've got other people who've come from like maybe Caps Lock and, and I continue to mentor some of them who are, finished as a as a previous cohort and are still looking for that first role uh, in, into the industry so I, I've got a bit of a blend and, and beyond caps lock as well some of my former military colleagues who left about 10 years ago and I was starting to point people who are in their IT teams my way because their IT team people want to move into cybersecurity and they don't know how to help them so so I started getting so getting them as well it's a bit of a blend a bit of a variety and I think the and this more goes back to your last question actually and how how we scale this and it's about documenting this cybersecurity guy and some of these other models that I've got uh, in order to make it more widely available. That's time consuming uh, and and balancing a good full time job. Some of the mentoring work, which I'm extremely passionate about, and renovating a house is 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 a, is a good juggle. And and what tends to take the hit is is documenting everything. But what I do get as I document, or sorry, as I go through all of these different engagements with different people, as I as I learn more and more and more. So what will end up happening is the product should be extremely valuable to a lot more diverse background people as well. I think, it, like I say, it's really admirable what you're doing. I imagine if you're anything like me, you you burn candles at 14 different ends and then go, ah, where's my me time? I need to take a break. Yeah. Um, but it, it's great. And like like you've just said there, there's, there's so many different types of people that we need in the cyber industry. We need people from IT to come in. We need military vets to come in. We need more women to come in. We need people right at the beginning of the journey to come in. There is enough roles, but we don't need them all to be looking for the same types of roles. So it's anything we can do to spread that message that it's more than sock and pen testing. <laughs> there's so much more. <laughs> Absolutely. That, I should get that for a, for a sticker to the next convention we go to yeah uh, yeah uh, yeah we'll we'll work on that together <laughs> that sounds good <laughs> well one final question and I know you talked about Martin's advice to you when when you were leaving what is that one piece of advice that you either had that's really influenced your career or what would you like to give back to a, you know young Lindsay starting out as a piece of advice so when I was on my foreman's course, and this is go back to 2008 and 2010, that was the degree course. Somebody mentioned to me, and I can't remember who it was. I wish I remembered which one of them it was very wisely were. They said, this is the start of my resettlement process. Now, they were 12 years into their career or something at that point, and they still had 10 years left till they hit their 22-year point. But they said, that was the start. And that really got me thinking is that at some point, everybody will leave the military. 
everybody's got to go at some point and the likelihood of accruing enough either passive income or, or a requirement not to have any income whatsoever is probably very very low so i would say from the day that you join you should be thinking about your next career. You should be thinking about resettlement and what that means to you and how you can take opportunities as they come along and how you can make every experience a valuable experience in the direction of travel you think you might go. And if it's cybersecurity, you throw yourself at, at the comms part of exercises, whatever it looks like. So the, the advice is start resettling today, even if you've not signed off. Love it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for joining me on the Be In Cyber podcast, Lindsay. That has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time, your advice and everything that you do. Thank you for having me. Hopefully you've enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to share a story or if you've Hopefully got a you've enjoyed today's a great episode, you'd like if you'd like from, to share a story, please drop us a message you've got a suggestion of a great guest channel you'd like to hear from. Hopefully you've enjoyed please drop today's us a message on all these like and share with your channels. Hopefully you've enjoyed today's episode. Please like and share with your friends.